Let's take our Bibles, those of us who are still in the auditorium. Let's uh, jump right into it in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you haven't been with us or you're joining us online, we are doing a series on getting a grip on a whole variety of different ideas. This one that we were dealing with last week and this week is getting a grip on forgiveness. And so as we come to that topic, here's the passage that we've been working with. Matthew chapter 18, and I want to read more of this text tonight than what we've read the last couple weeks. Then came Peter unto him, to the Lord, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus said unto him, I say unto you, until seven times, not seven times, but until seventy times seven. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a king which, had ta- which would take into account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment was to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the Lord of that servant moved with compassion, loosed him, and forgave him his debt. Now, this is the part we haven't talked about or read yet. It goes on. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and said, saying, Be, Have patience with me, I will pay you all. But he would not have that patience, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what he, this what was done, they were really sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt. Let's just pause right there. How much does that debt, if we were to translate it into modern, modern term, how much? 160,000 years of income. He says, I forgave you all that debt because you desired me. Shouldest now thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee, because he only owed one-tenth of that same amount. And then we go on, he says, the Lord was angry, or wroth, delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise... Shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses? This isn't the only passage that deals with forgiveness. Second Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the church and encouraging them to forgive. Paul is writing in this letter, though, also practicing forgiveness. Let me set up the scene and make some applications. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he is writing to this church where what has happened, Paul has ministered to them in years gone by. He had started this church, some guesstimate, about 20 years, maybe 15 years earlier. And when he was there, he stayed 18 months with those people, teaching them, helping them to get grounded in truth. Now he's gone. Been gone for a period of time, and he heard that when he left, some false teachers came in. And those false teachers, in order to persuade the people to follow them, they attacked Paul. They were very critical of Paul, of some of the things he did, not necessarily theologically, they ended up there, but initially about some of the things that, that he had, how he had acted. Well, he responds. He sends them a letter, and he's warning them about that. Things didn't change. So then he sends a second letter that he is writing unto them. That second letter is our 1 Corinthians. 
And so he's there now trying to deal with those teachers who have said these types of things to him. They have about him. They said he's not God's man, that he's not there by the Spirit. They said that he is out after their money. He's a huckster. They said that he doesn't really care about you people. So he ends up writing this letter. This, what we know as Second Corinthians, which is actually a third Corinthian letter, he writes to them, and he's going to, in the course of this, he's going to encourage them to forgive somebody in the church, but he is going to also express to these people his feelings toward them and how he, how he is operating right now, despite the fact that a good number of those people have been critical of them. They have listened to the false false teachers. They have considered maybe Paul is a huckster. They have questioned Paul. And so his example in this letter, especially the beginning of chapter 2, the end of chapter 1, is really a tremendous example how to approach people who have offended you, who have attacked you, who have criticized you. And I want to just make some observations before we jump into Matthew 18. I want you to catch this, that Paul was not real hasty He was not reactive in that sense. He writes about this idea. He says, I didn't come right away. Some of you say, I don't care because I didn't come. I didn't come right away to spare you. Because if I'd come right away, I would have... So he basically says, I didn't want to come in heaviness. I didn't want to come in anger. I didn't want to come and just, modern terminology, rip your head off. So he was, he was cautious that he thought before he acted. So he didn't react in anger. I want you to catch this. He goes to the Corinthians. He doesn't write about this issue to the Thessalonians, the, those individuals. He doesn't write to the Romans. He's got an issue with the Corinthians, so guess what? He talks to the Corinthians about it. And he communicates with the source that they had for communication. It could, if it was today, maybe it would have been a phone call. Maybe it would have been texting. You know, where he couldn't get to them, he used what he could to communicate with them. I want you to catch this. He deals with uh, those people, even though it's very hard for him to do so. He makes this comment that you find in chapter 2. He says, this is really hard. This is out of affliction and anguish of my heart that I'm doing this. He wasn't excited to, and anxious to point out error. He is, this is tough, but he's got to do it because it's a problem between them. You know how that works. Somebody has has created an offense. It might be within your family. It's tough to go and talk to. It's tough to husbands and wives to talk through an offensive situation. But if we don't deal with it, what, what could probably happen? It gets worse. It becomes a sore that just becomes nagging. So he deals with it. He addresses the hurts and the issues. In the letter, he's going to talk about this. I'm going to tell you about, am I God's man? I'm going to tell you about how we're going to handle the money situation. And he responds and addresses it in graciousness and kindness. In fact, he reassures them as he opens up the letter, I care about you. I really care about you. I'm doing this out of love. I want you to catch something else. His attitude wasn't, let's just forget about it, or I'm going to fight them, or I'm not going to ever have anything to do with them. He doesn't do that. He says, we've got a breach. I want them to grow in faith. I need to forgive them. So he writes and he says, I wrote this to know the proof of you, whether you will be obedient in all things. 
He's trying to help them spiritually. He's trying to help him do what's right for himself spiritually. As well, in Paul's case, one of the issues is finances. They're accusing him of being a huckster. He doesn't want that to be the case. So in this case, even though he has a right for them to support him financially, with this church, he's not going to take their money for himself. He's going to give up that right. He's going to find, what can I do to try to prove myself that I am trying to restore this relationship? There is a whole lot of good information there, good practical processes and practical steps that we could apply to our life. Now, we didn't talk about this as we've been going through. What we're in is Matthew chapter 18 and Luke 17 that we talked about this morning. And what we said that in that passage, God says we're supposed to forgive. Now, we've looked at some principles of forgiveness this morning. We did this one, that our forgiveness is not to be based upon how we feel, but out of our obedience to Jesus Christ. Luke 17, beautiful story. He says that we need to forgive, and then he says the servant who goes in the field doesn't come back and have the master serve him. He does what the master says because he's the servant. That is given in context of forgiving people that you and I are duty-bound as servants of Jesus Christ to have a spirit of forgiveness, to be willing to forgive people. Our forgiveness is to see them, to treat them, to act like, uh, like we ought towards them the way Christ would uh, operate. This includes even as parents. When we're dealing with children who repeatedly may have offended us, are we still willing to forgive as they make things right? Are we willing to, to love them and forgive them the way Christ would? the way Christ would forgive you. Number three, we pointed this out. Forgiving is to choose to put off any and all thoughts or attempts at getting even, getting revenge. Stop. The revengeance we pointed out with multiple texts is a wrong attitude. It is basically choosing to say, I cancel your debts, like that master did to the servant. The debt is all done. It's over with. And we explained some of that. We'll get a little bit more of it tonight. Our choosing to forgive others is to be done over and over. Luke 17, Jesus says, forgive them time and time again. Not just seven times, but 70 times seven. And even if they come multiple times in one day. So he's using exaggeration here. If it's, then you need to forgive. So we go on from there, and let's add a few more thoughts this evening. Our choosing to forgive means we choose not to dwell on the hurts anymore. We choose not to dwell on the hurts anymore. We choose not to say, okay, um, I forgive you, and we drop the butts. There's a story that goes around about, it's a silly story that was in the Daily Bread a while back, and it talked about two old men that, that they used to be friends, but these neighbors, all of a sudden, they started having conflicts with them, and it, had, it involved some trees and then a fence, and they would just do things to irritate each other. They wouldn't talk to each other, but they would do these jabbings. They would do these issues to just grate one another. Well, the one got sick. And he knew that he didn't want to have this on his mind and his heart before he died. So he called the neighbor over. He apologized. He said, you know, I was so wrong in treating you the way I did for year after year after year. His neighbor, who was uh, just as stubborn, but at that moment, he all of a sudden became soft-spirited and soft-hearted. He says, I forgive you. I am so sorry. Forgive me for what I have done. And so they're shaking hands, they're wiping away the tears, and the one is walking away. And the man who was sick, who started this initial, initial conversation, he says, oh, wait a minute. 
He said, just remember, if I get better, everything I said today is gone. Okay, that's the way some people operate. And it's wrong. What we're supposed to do is we're supposed to cancel the debt, which means we're no longer expecting things of them that they owe us. We said that we're no longer looking for payment from the pain that they caused us. We're choosing to let it go. To just say, that's it. We're moving forward. We're not condoning what they did, as we said this morning. We're not saying it didn't bother me, but we're going to say it's not going to bother me in the future. And it means we stop rehearsing it. We stop talking about it. We stop reliving it. The more you rehearse, the more you relive, the more you focus on it, the harder it is for you to move on. And so in this text, the idea is we need to, we need to have this word become a part of our life. When the missionaries went to the Inuit, Inuit peoples up in the Alaskan areas and up in, with the Eskimos, they didn't find that there was a word for forgive that would fully explain. But they put together all the different phrases. There's the phrase that is in that original language, and here's what that phrase meant. Not able to think about it anymore. They use that phrase in the Bible to explain this is forgiveness. We're not going to dwell upon it anymore. We're just going to move forward. It's done. We know that God says he forgives us. And when he forgives us, he says, I will no longer... What? Remember. Okay, we find that in Isaiah. We find that in Jeremiah. We find that in Hebrews. We find that again in the book of Hebrews that he says, I'm going to forget those things. And yet you and I know that God knows everything always. So how does God, who knows everything always, how does he forget our sins? How does he not remember them? What's he mean by that? That's it. That's it. He's choosing to no longer dwell upon it. He's choosing to say, I'm not bringing it up again. Your sins are buried in the depths of the sea, and they're done. So when you and I go to the Lord, if we could put it in a silly way, we go to the Lord and we say, God, do you remember last week when I, when I got upset with Deb and I lost my temper, and here I am again. If God could immediately speak to me, he might say, no, I don't remember. I choose not to. You're here fresh. Well, that's the way we're supposed to be with our forgiveness as best as possible, is we're supposed to not be dwelling upon it. For us to not dwell upon it, okay, it's not easy. And it's not immediate for most of us. We don't just, most of the time, if somebody hurts us, we can forgive them, but we might remember it. And so we have to think this through that, okay, Maybe it's going to be easier when the rawness passes. But we're not supposed to be dwelling upon it. We're trying not to dwell upon it. So it requires repeated effort on our part to refuse to replay it, to refuse to redo the argument, to refuse to to say, I'm not going to play again what happened to me, what that person did to me physically, what that person did to me emotionally. I don't want to keep on rehearsing it because our minds are like a computer. The more we rehearse it, all of a sudden, we're taking up space, even more space, and we're re-recording it, re-recording it. We don't want to be doing that. It takes great effort to replace those thoughts. So when all of a sudden I'm tempted to remember, this is what somebody did to me when I was a youngster, or this is what some relative failed to do to me, and so I'm, uh, it bothers me and it hurts me, then I, I have to stop dwelling upon that and replace it. Maybe it has to be replacing and say, but here's what they did to me. 
Maybe it has to be just going to a song and thinking about God's grace to me. But somehow turning the switch off from replaying and rehearsing and reliving that situation. The more I do that, the more I know that it'll take time, but it will all of a sudden, if I'm resisting that, that repeat, if that replay, it'll get better in time. Corey Ten Boom had some issues with forgiving the people who had abused her in those concentration camps. Last week we used an illustration when she ran into one of the guards. But she still struggled. And she wrote in one of her books about forgiveness, she said she went and talked to a pastor about it and said, I'm still struggling. Even though I said I forgive that person, every so often it comes back to me that they did this and I want to get angry towards them again. How do I let this go? And in this church where this guy was at, they had a bell up in the bell tower. And he used this illustration that Corey Ten Boom said that this was helpful to her. That he says, you know how they pull the bell, the sexton pulls it, and it clangs, it clangs, it clangs each time they pull it. But eventually they let, them, let it go. What does the bell continue to do? Clang, but then what? Okay, it's still swinging, but there's no clang. But if you grab the rope, what's it going to do again? It's going to clang. But if you leave the rope go, what happens in time? It stops. In the same way, let the rope go on your hurt. Let it go. Just leave it go. Stop pulling on it. It will get better as you pray about it. It will get easier as you bring your mind into captivity that you choose not to keep on going there. In fact, you have to ask yourself this question. If you continue to replay, let, let's take a situation that you grew up in a home and you are hurting from the lack of love or compassion or the rude speech that was directed at you. And you as an adult, you struggle that some, some, you know, the way there was treatment done in the home. Okay? You can stay mired in that for a long time. That can continue through years. So the question comes down to, you know, where, where are you going? Are you stuck in this? If I can use just a true story of a counselor writing about one person's situation. Once a middle-aged man came into my office to discuss problems in his life and his marriage at work. Life was not going so well for this man. As we processed what he was going through, it became evident that he blamed most of his current life problems on the childhood emotional abuse he received from his mother. And it goes on, describes his mother was a very rude, insensitive person, very critical, didn't give him much time, watched the TV programs and criticized the child, on and on and on. It's explained. Even as an adult in his 40s, he still found himself a victim of continual manipulation from this mother. We talked about his need to call her to forgive him, his mother, and release her. At first he was unwilling. He wanted his mother to experience the same pain by refusing to forgive her, refusing to talk with her, refusing to go visit her, etc., etc. He continued to harbor resentment and anger. I asked him a few questions like this. What do you think your mother is doing right now? Do you think she is at home worried and bothered that you refuse to forgive her? As he thought about it, he began to acknowledge that she probably wasn't even thinking about him at all. She was probably sitting at home, still watching TV, unbothered by his refusal to forgive her. The next question I asked him is, where are you right now? Well, he said, I'm in your office, processing my anger. 
In fact, he had spent countless hours in therapy processing his anger against his mother. His job, his relationship with his wife, his relationship with his children all suffered because of the bitterness he had towards his mom. So who was hurting who? Who was the victim here? Certainly it wasn't his mom, it's himself. He was disabled in life. The lack of forgiveness produces bitterness, and bitterness always puts a person in bondage. When we experience an extremely deep wound, it doesn't seem possible to forgive, but then we hold on to our resentment, hoping to find some kind of justice for the wrong that was committed. When we live life holding on to prior hurts, we're restraining ourselves from the liberty that has been paid for us in the cross. Unforgiveness hinders us from moving forward in life. If we are constantly reminiscing about former offenses and living our lives through our past experiences, those experiences will be the very factors that determine how we see and react to the world we live in now. The earlier we realize that forgiveness is the direction to the road of freedom, the faster it will be to walk on that road. We are the beneficiaries when we choose to release those whom we are tempted to harbor resentments against. Profound. Just profound and very practical good advice that we've seen even in that text. Let's do another thought here. Our choosing to forgive others means we choose not to talk about the offenses with others. It's done. It's over with. The idea is forgiving them is saying, I promise not to raise the issue again. It's the idea of saying that we are covering their offense. Because if we repeat the matter, we're going to separate them from other people. Proverbs talks about stirring up strife. You don't want to do that. You want to practice the scriptures where love covers a multitude of sins. Move forward in your life. Don't create conflicts for them. Number eight, choosing to forgive others means we choose not to hold it against them in the future. We don't hold it against them in the future. We don't, we don't want to use this hurt that they cause to manipulate them. Oh, they caused me hurt, therefore they feel sorry about it, and I'm going to keep on bringing it up so they do whatever I want. That's wrong. That is terrible. Does that ever happen? Oh, my word. You would cringe if you could hear sometimes how individuals in families, some married couples... One has hurt the other, and the other is holding it against them and making them jump through hoops. And it is horrible. It is awful. But it happens in Christian homes. You and I are not supposed to be doing that. We don't repeatedly remind them of it. When we're mad, we bring it up and throw it back in their face. We're not supposed to be rubbing their nose in. We're not supposed to be campaigning against this person by going to others or bringing it up again and again and again. We let it go. We move forward. Now I need to quantify and qualify some thoughts that came out after this morning's message that some asked some very legitimate questions. That does not mean we forget all about the physical or legal consequences that need to be dealt with. I don't know if you as a parent, if you ever had this experience, when my kids were little, they knew the, they knew the, the routine. If they disobeyed, there was going to be some physical correction. That physical correction would be done in the back room with a little paddle, all those types of things. And our kids knew that when the physical correction was done, there was an expectation that they have to ask for forgiveness, we're going to pray together, and then we're done and we don't go out and tell the other kids and do all this kind of stuff. But all of that was in the process. So some of them figured this out pretty quick. They're going to have to say, 
I'm sorry, please forgive me. So, on the way to the back room, it was very frequent that all of a sudden, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry, please forgive me. And if I say, I forgive you, they thought, no consequence. You know, no discipline. No, no, there still may be some consequence. And is that appropriate? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. There may be that consequence. If there is a broken law, there's a legal consequence. Okay? Physical damages. It does not mean that they don't owe a debt to society at times. When I talk about society, I'm talking about, okay, if it means as a big group. If their society could be their classroom. The society could be the team that they work with. It could be the co-workers. They still may may need to deal with some of those consequences there or deal with some of the the, uh, punishment that may come in that from those, those areas. It doesn't mean we drop all reasonable boundaries or parameters that may be needed, that may be needed to prevent another similar offense. We'll illustrate that in just a moment. It doesn't mean that we no longer are required, or it doesn't mean that we are required to totally trust that person right away. This is the tough one, isn't it? Isn't it the tough one? Some people, uh, I am not one who advocates this at all. Okay, Some say that if we forgive, we forget, and we just, we... We cancel everything, and therefore we have total trust in that situation once again. I don't think that works scripturally this way. I don't think that that's where the Bible mandates forgiveness to say, I trust them. Sometimes there still may be accountability as a consequence. Sometimes there may be the, uh, the reality that the offender, as part of their repentance, they have to realize they have to rebuild the trust. They're the offender. They have to regain my trust. Let me see if I can illustrate them this way. Okay, let's, let's do some, some instances and see where you would go with this. A family member stole from you. They went into your purse. They went into your billfold. They took your credit cards and they stole for, them, for you. They come back and say, please forgive me. You forgive them. But what, what parameter might you put up? They should want to make restitution. Any other parameters you might put up? What'd you say, Stacy? Yeah, are you going to leave your person there control? No. You going to give me your credit card? Okay. Okay. If depending upon the relative, if that relative, you may limit access to your home, that they aren't going to be there when nobody else is in the house. Is that unreasonable? They, whose, whose trust did they break? Yours. They have to regain that trust. Okay, let me give you another illustration. Okay? Someone abuses a child. They may be forgiven, but... They shouldn't be in children. They shouldn't be, they shouldn't be with the children left alone. If it was your child and they were your babysitter, let's take a grand scenario, would you still keep that babysitter? You forgive them, but that doesn't mean I'm going to trust you with my kids again. Okay? If somebody does that here in our church, I'll forgive that person, and we would as a body, if they repented before Jesus Christ, they are not teaching a child's class. 
That's appropriate, is it? It's legal in Pennsylvania. You know all of that. But aren't those appropriate parameters and boundaries you set? Now, let me give you another illustration, okay? So, a spouse has an affair with a coworker. okay? They come to their spouse and say, please forgive me. The spouse may forgive them, but what might the spouse want in rebuilding trust? Okay, what did somebody say? Leave the job to disconnect from that person? Is that reasonable? No, yes. Yeah, if, if if you were in those shoes, you want to trust them, but they have to do some things to help regain your trust. So you might say to them, okay, there's going to be some new accountabilities here. And if I, if, if I did that to Deb, okay, is it appropriate for me to want to keep the accountabilities to her if I am repentant? Yes. And in this case, as you said, I, it means change jobs, change hours. You put yourself away from that. You know, flee all appearances. Your teenager takes your car crash, they're speeding, doing something reckless, and they crash the car. You're, you're probably not going to, you know, <laughs> you're tempted to, but you're probably going to forgive your teen. But what might you do? Might you restrict their driving? Yes, no? Okay, might you say you can only have the car... Never. (laughs) Yeah, reasonably, we might hold the car back for a period of time. But as they regain your trust, you might even say, well, you can use the car, but you can't be with so-and-so in the car. Yes, no? Does that make sense? Okay, let's go a little bit further, okay? A church leader violates the morality of the Bible. Me or somebody else, okay? We violate morality, biblical morality, Okay? You might forgive me, but I'm not a church leader anymore. Is that biblically appropriate? Absolutely. So when somebody says, I forgive, and forgiving means there's no possible consequences or boundaries, no, 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 no. No, that's not always true. Sometimes wisdom says we still engage in parameters. My attitude isn't one of vindictiveness. My attitude isn't one that I keep on bringing it up, but I may have to have some boundaries. And so we have to find that sweet balance in between that situation. Let's do another truth. Our choosing to forgive others means we also choose to open the door to the possibility of reconciliation. I am really wanting to say this in a different way. I'm trying to be extremely careful. There are so many caveats with this one, depending upon circumstances. So I add this, that is to some degree at least. And in most cases, we want to have total reconciliation. But I also know the reality of life is this, is that there are times that total reconciliation may not happen. But before I do that, Christ's ultimate goal is for us to be reconciled. That's his ultimate goal. Do you remember in Matthew 18, go and talk with them if there's a problem. And if they listen, great. And if they don't listen, then take another person with you. And if they don't listen, then you bring it to before the church. And then eventually the church takes action. But his goal in this is if they listen to you, you have... I've left a phrase now. What does he say that you have gained? You have gained a brother, okay? 
That's his ultimate goal. Could it be thwarted by people? Okay, could we, could we create a problem that the reconcilia- reconciliation is limited or doesn't take place totally? There's a bunch of caveats that go in with this that's, that I, I haven't discussed because it's a whole other ball game and I only have so much limited time. But some of this deals with repentance on their part. Some of this deals with their response. But, but let me just make some, some obvious you know, conclusions here. This is the truth about reconciliation at times. Okay? Reconciliation is not always possible. Yes? Okay, let me, let, me, let me point out why. The person may not be alive anymore. What do you do if you're the individual who you were abused physically, sexually, by somebody when you were a child? And that's a, that's a hard one. That's a difficult one. But that person isn't there anymore. Okay? The, that reconciliation is, is an impossibility. Let's bring it down to where it's easier. Your parents, they didn't show you the love that, that you needed. They're no longer here. How do you reconcile with a dead person? In fact, how do you forgive a dead person? It's in the heart, okay? It might be, let me take a, offer this solution. It might be, write a letter. Can't be delivered, but God knows. But express your heart that I am releasing this. I am letting it go. But, but full reconciliation may not be a possibility. Maybe, maybe they don't have accessibility. Maybe that person doesn't have their mind anymore. Maybe that person isn't even where you know where they're at anymore. It, it could be that the other party is not willing to forgive you your part in the, in the offense. That it was two, two, you know, both were at odds. And they don't want to forgive you. That you're not going to get reconciliation. We're your best buddies again. Okay? So where's the, what's the burden for you? If they won't forgive you and you can't be best buds anymore, what does that mean? How does that look now as a believer? Can you still forgive them? Yes. Yes. You've opened up that door, that possibility. They may keep it shut. So you've exercised forgiveness, but reconciliation isn't going to take place because they choose not to. But you before the Lord have done what you could. What about this possibility? The one who hurt you may not be willing to accept, admit, or acknowledge their guilt. They don't want to admit it. They don't want to take ownership with it. Okay, what do you do? Well, the reconciliation isn't going to take place because they haven't owned up to it yet. But still in my heart, what do I want to make sure I'm doing? What God has told me to do is my duty to have a spirit of forgiveness, though it's not going to accomplish gaining a brother. But I still have to have the right spirit towards them. What about this one? The one who hurts you doubts whether you really forgive them. Joseph's brothers. Did he forgive his brothers? And yet when dad died, what was their thought? They all got together. Remember this? Years after he had forgiven them. He said, what, what you meant for evil? Yeah, and he says, I forgive you. But years later, when his dad dies, what do the brothers immediately do? They get together, and they're talking amongst themselves, and they're saying, he's going to get us. He's going to get us. And they don't believe you. You can only do your part. 
But you do your part. Your duty is to have that spirit of forgiveness. So forgiveness is one point. Reconciliation is another aspect. Okay, they aren't equatable. They aren't the same thing. But it does, it does say, okay, if I'm genuinely forgiving, I am wanting to make it possible if possible. However, that doesn't mean that we have to become best friends forever. Okay? I might forgive them, but I might, just out of this, because of history, I might just say, I'm, I'm, I'm forgiving, but I'm, I know my weakness. I know that this is a battle, so I may have to, because I'm weak, I may have to be cautious. The idea we drop all, it doesn't mean we drop all wise boundaries or parameters, okay? I forgive you, pastor, you ripped off the church, you did something heinous, we forgive you, but the relationship isn't going to be the same as it used to be. That, that's, that would be true, would it not? Okay, I'm... Um, if, if all of a sudden you found out that I took all the church's funds and behind the scenes I'm, I'm beating my wife regularly and I'm just this horrible, horrible person and it comes out and you forgive me, I don't think you're going to have the same attachments that we have now. Even though I'm forgiven, I don't think we're going to be as tight as, as we can be at this point. It would set up a... Attention. You, you aren't holding it against me. You aren't going to say, keep away. And you would be extremely loving. And, you'd, you know, and in my brokenness, you would be kind. But you would be cautious too. Is that wrong? It's a consequence. It's a consequence that I have to live with if that were the case. By the way, would you please tell them I'm not beating you regularly? <laughs> What, you, what, what was this? We are going home afterward. <laughs> what? You just shook your head no. <laughs> we, uh, the bottom line is, the, do you remember the scripture talks about the right hand of fellowship? Okay, you don't withhold that right hand of fellowship with ongoing resentment. And, I, and I, if, if the illustration of me, if I was, I think you would be gracious to me. I think you would... You know, be kind enough to shake the hand, but you would have some... some you're not going to come and ask me for counsel. Right? Right? So we're not being reconciled to the point that I'm your spiritual counselor anymore. But at least I would think we're, you're not going to have run them down in the parking lot type attitude. Okay, so it sounds risky to do this. Doesn't it sound risky? To even open yourself up to somebody to hurt you again? How do you say when somebody says, eh, it sounds too risky? Christ does it with us every week. Christ, you know, he runs that risk. So we understand that even the Lord, when he forgives us, at times he, there's, the restoration is emotionally, but there are consequences, and the Lord might have some limits that he puts on us, even in 
like we use the illustration of teachers and preachers and things. Let me move on. Our choosing to forgive others involves not just a single act of saying I forgive you, but an ongoing process. You already understand what I mean by that. If I forgive, uh, then that ongoing process means I don't keep bringing it up to Deb. That ongoing process is that I don't keep on replaying or... You know, I, I'm letting it go. And I may have to remind myself, let it go, let it go. Number 11, our choosing to forgive others means we are willing to initiate the conversation with the one who hurt you. Whoa. Oh, this one gets really tough. They're supposed to come to me if we're going to have forgiveness. Mm. Jesus even made that comment that if you know your brother hath ought against you, Leave your gift at the altar and you have to go to them. You have to go to them. That's part of your duty. Do they have an obligation to come to me? Sure. But if they don't, I have the obligation by scriptures to be able to go to them. If your brother trespasses against him, you've got to rebuke him. That means you initiate the conversation. The passage says, if your brother shall trespass against you, you've got to go and tell him the fault. And by the way, does it ever happen that somebody comes up and says, Pastor, you offended me by doing such and such, and I'm going to say, I didn't know. Does that, has that ever happened to you? Somebody's been mad at something you did, but you didn't know you did it? I didn't know that that was offensive to them or whatever. And usually those are very simple. Those are very easy. By just, thank you for coming and telling me you were hurt, and we're done with it. But if you don't come and tell me that you're hurt, then, it's, then it festers. But you have an obligation at times when you're saying, I want to deal with this forgiveness the right way, that I may have to initiate a conversation. So we said this this morning where we started. We said that Jesus gave three reasons, uh, four reasons, excuse me, why we should be forgiving. We said that, number one, he said, we all are going to be needing forgiveness at times. We said, number two, from Matthew 18, that... The forgiveness we get from God far exceeds what forgiveness we will need to mete out between one another. And if he's willing to forgive me of all my sins, just like this story, I need to be willing to forgive others of lesser sins. We said number three, this thought, because forgiving others is our spiritual duty. That was the Luke 17 passage that we talked about and alluded to. Number four, number four, following up from this morning, is... Failure to do so will have serious consequences. The failure to release it, to let go, to get rid of that, that anger in the parable. We already read it this evening. In the parable, the man is forgiven of 160,000 years worth of work. Huge. Impossible. Only by the judge's grace that he was forgiven. He finds the person who owes him so much less than that. And what does he do? No forgiveness. Grabs him, throws him in jail. So what's the Lord do? In this story, what does the Lord do? When he hears about it, he rebukes him. Yeah, he rearrests him, puts him in jail, and does what else does it say in the text? It says he's delivered to the tormentors. Okay? In other words, it's worse for him now than it would have been even at the beginning. Okay? The consequences are worse. And so the story is used as an illustration, and he goes on and says, so, and this is where he closes, so likewise will my heavenly Father do to those if you do not forgive people. 
In other words, we as believers, it is incumbent upon us to have a forgiving spirit. If we refuse to do that, we will reap what we sowed. So, in other words, as Jesus said, your Father will not forgive you your trespasses if you don't. Let's make these applications and quit. If you refuse to forgive somebody, you hinder God's blessings upon your life. If you refuse to forgive them, you disrupt your close fellowship with the Lord. It disrupts your prayer life. If you refuse, you forfeit any answers to your prayer life. If you refuse to forgive, you open your life to satanic attack. We talked about this in the believer's armor. Be angry and sin not, neither give place to the devil. He loves controversy between believers where there is ongoing anger and bitterness. You don't want to be in that spot. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians, where we start at the beginning, he says, forgive lest Satan get an advantage over us. That brings us to this thought, you will have other spiritual troubles. In the book of Hebrews, where it's talking about the father-son relationship, he says, see that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble in your life, for by it many have become defiled. That is, they have become spiritually contaminated. You don't want to be there. You just don't want to be there. As hard as it is, exercise a spirit of forgiveness. As Robert E. Lee came to, years later, came to this one woman in Kentucky, and she was pointing out the tree in her yard that they had been there for generations after generations after generations. Look what the Yankees did with their bombardment. They blew this tree up so it's dead now. And look at all the bullet holes. And she expected Robert E. Lee to really, you know, chime in about those, you know, wicked, wicked Yankees. He just looked at her, shook his head, and he said, Lady, cut it down. Cut it down. Get over it. Father, help us to cut those, those hurts down, to just get over it, to move forward. Yea, we may need to be able to go to somebody and talk with them so that they don't repeat, they understand where they've hurt us. But help us not to hang on to that anger. Help us to handle it biblically. Give us wisdom in all the different nuances of this, how it applies to our everyday life. But help us to be marked by a spirit of forgiveness with wisdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.